Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight to our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have a confession to make today about my biggest fear. Now, when I was growing up, I was younger, I was convinced that my biggest fear is that I would not be relevant, that I would live a life of complete and total irrelevancy. But you know, the older I get, the more that doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) So, you know, that, that, that fear has subsided, but now I've come to find that my biggest fear in life is missing out on my new favorite song because I didn't listen to the next track on an album. Apparently, I'm the only one. <laughs> now, I think this is a result of modern technology more than anything, right? I can go on, I can go on Apple Music and I can pick and choose. I'll find a song. This has got a star by it and I'll listen to that one and that's great. 12, 13, under tra- you know, 13 other tracks that an artist had labored over. Well, I don't have to worry about those. It's, it's fine. This is an a la carte world. But it still worries me with other things, too. What is the best song I'll never hear? And what happens if it was track three of an album that I only listened to track two in? What happens... If the next article that would change my life, that would completely reorient my thinking, make me a better person, healthier, wiser, was just the next click off of Apple News or a few pages beyond where I stopped in the magazine that I was reading today. That scares me. Now, first, admittedly, that sounds a little neurotic. I I get that. But as I start the fifth decade of my life, which is weighty to say that, I realize part of it may just be now a resistance against the anesthetizing comfort of routine. I get that more now. The playlists that I have, that I listen to as I drive here to there, as I go running in the neighborhood, if it was the equivalent of a campus lawn at a college, would have worn cow paths in it because it's been played so many times. I still delight in listening to the same 90s and early 2000s hip-hop when I exercise as I did a decade ago. I always read the Harper's Index when Harper's comes in my mailbox because I love all these little statistics and you know, this month was really good. I learned some stuff. I learned stuff every, every month. But I don't always get to the rest of the magazine. And I've learned that there are particular rhythms in my routines that minimize stress. I mean, listen, I've got kids to raise. I'm helping, you know, the church. I don't, I don't need to go down the stairs from my office down to the sanctuary floor the same way that makes my knee make noises, right? I can adjust. I don't need to do that. But even still, I hear J. Alfred Prufrock in my head. I am well on my way to measuring my life in teaspoons. 
and I'm not completely convinced that I want the same fate as T.S. Eliot's character has in the end of that poem. And as people who keep our routines, it makes sense that we build infrastructure of routine. Could you imagine if we changed the starting time of church next week? Riots in the street! (laughs) It's like, you know what, Michael's going to take a break for a few months. We're going to put some guitars and some bongos out here, right? Some of you would be like, that's the greatest. And some of you would be, I'm going to take a sabbatical as well. How convenient. It just happened to be around the same time Michael is not playing the organ, right? We are creatures of routine and habit, and we like to build our infrastructures around being creatures of habit. And this anesthetizing comfort of routine can, in fact, limit our visibility to what is occurring around us, and at times, it takes a certain jarring to awaken us out of that peaceful, well-designed stupor. Because, listen, I just want to watch my Jeopardy every night. Can you at least give me my Jeopardy? In our gospel today, by the way, we can see how jarring takes place with a Jesus, Emmanuel, who is forever gathering us. These gathering moments here in this text result kinetically from outside events, forcing everyone off of their well-worn path and onto a new one. Now, in Matthew's telling of this story, as well as Mark's, we heard John's telling of this story, and Luke's is a little different still, But at least in Matthew and Mark, the advent of Jesus' ministry is the arrest of John the Baptist. We hear that right at the beginning of this text. As soon as John was arrested, Jesus said, oh, okay, I guess it's time. And what we learn as we hear more about this arrest of John, we learn that it's mostly a game of power and seduction amongst the Romans' authorities of the day, which, by the way, were imperially overtaking Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside. There was absolutely no good reason, as far as we can tell, that John the Baptist was arrested. And so for whatever reason, this absolute power grab, for what? You know, because the Romans' authorities wanted to have fun. It motivates Jesus to begin his ministry of change. Repent, which again, we've talked about that word a lot. Metanoia is a word. This idea of looking at the evidence and changing your mind Change your mind, friends, because something new is on the way. The current regime will not last, friends. You will not always have Rome as your emperor. God is coming. Something new is on the way. And that kinetic move, that reaction from a moment, the arrest of John to proclaim that the powers of the day will not last, creates another reaction with the disciples. Simon, Peter, and Andrew were doing their work along with James and John. They woke up that morning, same 
same thing that they do every day. Jimmy, Johnny, what are you going to do? I'm going to go fishing. What did you do yesterday? I went fishing. What did you do last week? I went fishing. The anesthetizing comfort of routine. And Jesus just shows up, clearly with a full head of steam after what happened to his friend John. And Jesus just says, come on, guys. We'll fish a little differently now. And that word there you see twice in that gospel, immediately. Oh, that's like immediately, immediately. There is no hesitation. There is no time difference between when Jesus ends the sentence and when the new disciples get out of their boats. I mean, they don't even put it on shore. And one interesting thing about the way that in that time they would have fished, they had to constantly get in the water to pull their nets back up. So it was very likely they weren't wearing any clothing. So, again, another great Bible trivia thing for that trivia night you're at. The first disciples, according to Matthew, were naked fishermen immediately getting out of their boats. Kinetic change out of the anesthetizing comfort of routine. No hesitation, no intervening time. They are on their way with Jesus. Now, as far as I could tell, they must have at some point stopped to get some clothes because I think we would have heard about Jesus and his naked disciples. But, so here's, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus gathers us, as Jesus will always gather us, a calling that we are meant to follow, it will require an immediate move out of our routines. And here, friends, lies the persons of faith, especially the comfortable persons of faith dilemma. We either stay within our teaspoon-measured life, just give me Jesus in jeopardy, thank you very much, because that comfort is also convenience, or we miss out on the things beyond it. And reality is the things beyond the comfort and the routine will be revolutionary, will be life-changing, will be aspirational, but it will come at some cost. If for anything, because inertia always drags us down. And if this revolutionary kinetic bouncing from one moment to another This revolutionary time happens with individuals. What happens when it's a group? We have witnessed and are here today because of the revolutionary kinetic action of 13 individuals a couple millennia ago. You're here because of these stories. What happens when a church together says, I refuse to just give in to the anesthetizing comfort of routine and instead I am going to go where Jesus Christ calls me immediately when he says, drop the nets, I go, even if I'm naked. 
Natalie, thank you. And here's the thing, at, at, at times we can delude ourselves into a belief that so long as we keep Jesus' call to gather just out of reach, we will always believe that we're headed towards a goal when really all we're doing is just settling back into our rhythms. How many of you have promised yourselves for 30 years that you'd lose that last 10 pounds? How many of you for the last 30 years have said, you know, I will finally put that extra $50 a month into my 401k? How many of you have said, you know, I am finally going to call that person who I have an estranged relationship with? And it feels good to keep it just out of arm's reach. Because if you're stretching, you feel like you're doing something. But there's always a home base. Really, that aspirational goal that perpetually stays out of reach is just a way to make sure that our cow paths wear even deeper. Because I can do this and stay right here. Jesus is not going to stop here or ever. Next week, you know we're going to hear the Beatitudes again? What a crazy series of verses. Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying the ones who are furthest out on the margins, the ones who have the least, they're the ones in this new God world that is coming will be the ones who are rewarded the most. That makes no sense. I know who Elon Musk is, but I don't know who the dude is that sits out here homeless on our corner because this is the quiet place he gets to sleep. What Jesus is saying next week is that would be the other way around. What? Jesus is not going to stop changing the world. The upside-downness of God's commonwealth will still happen, and those who put John in jail for pleasure will continue to be put on notice. His ministry will continue to be one of kinetic action to redefine society as it does even today. But there is a silver lining to that. Jesus will not stop asking you. You want to drop those nets and follow me now? Jesus will not stop asking you I know you've got Jeopardy on Wednesday nights, but you know your pastor has said multiple times that you should check out all the youth here on Wednesday night. You should check out all the life that's happening at South Jack's on Wednesdays. Maybe just let Jeopardy go this once. You can catch it on a rerun, Jesus says to you. You don't even have to go that far out of your path. It would be a good idea if you came. It's so easy to tell ourselves that, well, I, I can't go do this thing. I can't reinvest my life into something. 
because it had hurt too much. Because I tried before, and what good did it do? Jesus will never stop asking you, would you like to get out of your boat now? Are you ready to drop the nets and do something more? Every week since we started this series, I've asked, are we ready to do these things? And so I ask again, are you ready to drop some of your nets? Are you ready to do something dramatic, life-altering, world-changing? Are you willing to just let Jeopardy go for a week or two? Jesus will not stop asking. So you got time to think about it. But a world that's ready to hear that though they are on the margins and though the rest of this world tells them that they are not as valuable, Jesus says, yes, you are blessed. (laughs) They need to hear that now. Are we ready? Thanks be to God.